Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. So we're um, beginning a new ser- a series. So we started with growing faith and we started and we went on to bringing hope and now we are focusing on what it is to sow love into our context. And I always get irritated because I have to have the um, PowerPoints finished for Anna by a reasonable time in the week. But then the Lord keeps talking to me and then I've always got more scriptures or more something that I would have liked to have added. But you just have to put up with that because they're not on on the PowerPoint. But um, so, Father, thanks, Lord, thanks that there are so many people all across Newcastle coming together to worship you, to love you, to serve you. And, Lord, thank you for this church, which is so faithful and so determined to sow love into the whole Hunter region. And so, Father, I pray that we can learn together in this. Lord, I pray that you will speak to each one of us about how this message relates to what we do and how we live our lives. Lord, that you would just help us be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, that our capacity to see clearly is inadequate and that there'll come a time when we go to be with the Lord when our life is done, that we will see more clearly and that we will get to take, my understanding is, we'll get to take to heaven with us three things, uh, faith, hope and love. And he says that the greatest of all those things is love. And that makes me feel like all of our gifting and our wisdom and our capability and our sacrifice won't count, won't get to go with us unless the motivation was love. And I don't know about you... (laughs) But I find love particularly hard to do at times. In fact, it makes me laugh when people say this church focuses too much on love because it makes everything so easy. I'm just like, I don't know where you've been, but I tell you what, I find it really hard to love. Loving is jolly hard. Like it's hard enough with your own family, let alone with the people that you work with and the people that cut you off in the traffic and all the rest of it. Like loving is is very hard. It's a whole lot easier to become a member of the God police and it's also a lot more um, socially acceptable sometimes. People would rather you be a member of the God police than you love people that they don't think should be loved, right? And so there's uh, none of us. Obviously, I don't mean any of us, like no God police here, right? But true love is expressed in a myriad ways, like actions and smiles and support and finances and help and listening and not talking behind people's backs. And I was just thinking about MUCO and about the fact that true love has been expressed through us as a congregation, some of whom really have sacrificed to be able to give to MUCO and we reached that $75,000. C.S. Lewis wrote, next to the blessed sacrament, which I think was his language for communion, your neighbour is the holiest object presented to your senses. So next to communion, your neighbour is the holiest object that you can see, which is sort of scary. So I'm just going to read this scripture Luke chapter 10, some of it is on the screen, some of it isn't. But 
Verse 25 says, Just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. You know, sometimes I've found when I've tried to work out how to give love to somebody else uh, that may not be socially acceptable to all the people that I'm with, sometimes I feel like people are trying to test my doctrine and work out if I really am Christian or not. I think I've done that to people as well. Like, are you, you know, are you sure? Are you sure that's the right thing? But but this religious scholar wanted to test Jesus' doctrine and he posed this question, Teacher, what requirement must I fulfil if I want to live forever in heaven? Jesus replied, well, what does Moses teach us? What do you read in the law? And it's very safe for him to ask that because this guy is a religious scholar. So he knows exactly what Moses has got to say about it. And the religious scholar answered, it states, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy and your every thought. And you must love your neighbour as well as you love yourself. Jesus said, cool, go, that's it. That's all you needed to know. But the guy wanting to justify himself, I mean, I don't know, have you ever wanted to justify the reasons why you don't have to love that particular person? I certainly have. Wanting to justify himself, he questioned Jesus further saying, what do you mean by my neighbour? Jesus replied, listen and I'll tell you. There was once a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked and left him half dead. Soon a priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him. Later, a religious man. A Levite came walking down the same road and likewise passed to the other side of the road, passing by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. I think that's a a feeling, isn't it? Like when you look, if you let yourself look close enough rather than sort of taking a shortcut back there, Tender compassion sometimes comes upon us without us even realising where it came from. And so he stooped down and he gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. Then he took him from his donkey and carried him to a room for the night. The next morning he took his own money from his wallet, gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. So now, tell me, which one of the three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbour? The religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Jesus said, you must go and do the same. Now, the clue here regarding the question of love is there in verse 29 and it's one of the most convicting verses in the Bible because this guy is a believer but he's sensible as well and he's looking for ways to exclude the wrong people from his neighbourhood. He doesn't want to damage his believership so he asks another question because he needs to justify himself and justify why he would exclude certain people. And Jesus so smoothly reveals what's in this guy's heart. 
the religious guy wants to get the rules right so he'll be acceptable to God. I have done that so many times. I can't tell you how many times. I've looked up ahead and I've seen something and someone I don't want to be involved with and so I've crossed over the other side of the road there rather than get too close to them, to those people. I, I, I need reasons to justify why ignoring or excluding or rejecting other people or just staying right out of it can at times replace loving them. I need to have those things. So I've got a reason to give to Jesus. And that's reasonable, right? Because how can everyone be my neighbor? Jesus says to that guy, you want rules? Okay, tell me what Moses, the great rule writer, wrote. Well, he says the first one's easy because you've got to love God with your whole heart. But what makes the second one so radical is its tie to the first one. You've got to love your neighbour. And the guy's like, well, anyway, who is my neighbour? You don't mean, you know, I mean, yeah, Becca and Jake, they live next door, you know, and across the road is Harry. You don't mean the whole street, do you? And Jesus enlightens him by making it clear that everyone is your neighbour, everyone is your neighbour. And so the intriguing thing about Jesus' story is that the Samaritans were filthy in Jewish eyes. They were considered spiritually and socially and morally inferior and you couldn't be seen with one. And what makes that example so much worse is that the previous chapter in verse 53, Jesus had tried to go into a Samaritan village and they stopped him going in and James and John had wanted to call down fire on the village and destroy the whole village and Jesus would let them and now he's using the Samaritan as a model of how to live ready for heaven because this guy back there he he actually puts it that way he asks how um how what what do I have to fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven and so there's this thing there in in them that puts them in a position where Jesus says, not only am I not even holding that against them, but I'm going to use this guy as a model for you. Jesus used a filthy outcast to demonstrate the fulfilment of God's second greatest commandment. And that means if I want to be, if I want to follow Jesus, if I want to be ready for heaven, I need to be willing to love and care for and carry and feed and pay for and protect someone who doesn't think or believe or act anything like me. And I need to do it with love because from what Paul says, if you just do it but you don't have love as a motivation, it doesn't work. And so then Jesus makes it clear that anyone can fulfill the second commandment as well as the first, loving in a way that lays down our own lives and our opinions and our judgments and our prejudices and our money and our time is not exclusive to Christians. In fact, many non-Christians do it and many non-Christians do do it better, do do it more often. But what we fail to sort of really grasp is the fact that love is the characteristic of God. And so when people say, by this will all men know that you're my disciples because of the way that you love, 
that's showing who we are in Christ, that I'm a follower of Christ. Now, I love the idea of treating love as if it was an inexhaustible flow of seed that I can sow. When I was um, pastoring in Britain, there was a couple in our church. You would you wouldn't have looked twice at them. It, you know, he was he was on the base. She was greeting on the door, but she was a professional. She was a, a psychiatrist, and he was the executive of one of the international banks in London. He was very high up. So they both of them they earned a lot of money. And um, they'd made this decision to cap their salary. I'm just talking about one way, actually, to love. I'm going to talk about a whole lot of different ways. But they'd made a decision to cap their salary. They had a really nice house. They had two really good cars. They had a nice holiday a couple of times a year. And they worked out, taking all that into account, how much they needed to make their life work smoothly and do everything that they wanted to do. And then they capped their needs at that and they made a decision that everything else that came in over and above that they would give and I remember that guy because he was a a senior executive of this particular bank I can remember him one day handing me a check for several thousand pound and say this said this is my bonus I just got could you give it to this particular thing that we were doing in Africa but that couple they anonymously, I mean, I only knew a bit about it because I happened to be in that position that I would know. But other than that, and I didn't know everything they gave, I just knew that they'd capped their salary. But they anonymously funded houses for HIV orphans and a pig farm and ministries inside and outside of the church. They su- supported the needs of specific families within the church and a huge number of other projects. And you know, you'd never have known by looking at this couple, but they understood what it was to sow love. Now, God isn't requiring of us to be poor. He doesn't get any glory or pleasure in his people being broke because they gave it all away. In fact, he places Christians into every sphere of society, every level of society, so that people there will be reached. So he wants to bless us. But this is the point. He doesn't want us to use up all the blessing on ourselves. He wants us to understand how to sow it as well as have it. And that's about seeing the needs around and making decisions to do what Jesus said, which is feed the hungry comfort the marginalized, care for the poor, empower other people to do to have to be able to live better. So when our lifestyle makes provision for other people's needs, I honestly can tell you from my own experience that he always makes sure that we have enough for our own need. And sometimes just working that out, certainly for me, it meant making um, decisions about changing the way that I spent and it maybe takes a bit of time to sort out, but I've found that asking God to give me extra so I can give actually really works. And the only time it doesn't, the only thing that makes it fall down is if I say, Lord, I want to be able to give, can you give me more so I can give? And then when I get it, think, actually, no, you know what, I really need it myself. So and not passing it on. But other than that, when he does give you more, stick to your decision to give it because, you know, It's about sowing love. Sowing love isn't just money, right? It's a lifestyle. I've got a couple of people here that are heroes of mine. Greatest enemy of sowing love is fear. 
And fear is sometimes warranted. So that's why, as far as I'm concerned, one of the greatest characteristics a Christian can have is courage because it takes courage to sow love. Um, this is Carola Raquette, Captain Carola Raquette. She's the captain of the Sea Watch 3. She was jailed in 2019 after forcing her boat through the Italian Navy blockade to bring to port 40 refugees that she'd rescued off the coast of Libya. Now, she was released after an international outcry, but at that point, and this is a few years ago now, 34,361 people had died making that perilous crossing, and she saved 40 of them from that fate. Is she a priest? I don't know. Is she a religious person? I don't know. Is she a Samaritan? Maybe. But she ended up in jail because she refused to stand by and do nothing while men and women and children were in the open sea in tiny leaky boats in danger for their lives. Whatever her faith, Captain Raquette was loving her neighbour. This one is Professor Scott Warren. He's a lecturer in geography at Arizona University and he spends his spare time hiking into the desert 46 degrees plus temperatures to leave water and food for refugees coming across the Mexican border. He faces five years in jail. Is he a priest? Is he a Levite? Is he a religious person? I don't know. He might be a Samaritan. But I do know that he and others like him regularly walk 8 to 15 kilometres into the desert carrying five-gallon drums of water and food to leave for people for whom the treacherous journey across the desert is preferable to the conditions they live in. In the last two decades since the Border Patrol was introduced there, More than 7,000 sets of human remains have been found there in that borderland. Over the last four years, the Border Patrol has destroyed 3,856 gallons of water that's been left there by Good Samaritans to save lives. Now, I don't know the answer to the problems in our world, even in our district, but I do know that thoughts and prayers are not enough. I don't know the answer to the overwhelming tsunami of millions of desperate people fleeing their homes with their children who would rather risk death than stay where they are because it's preferable to where they are. But I do know the answer for people who are given to the determination to love their neighbour. The answer begins with how can we love How can, you know, how can we love, not how can we keep from being made uncomfortable? See, there's right and there's wrong. And sometimes I think as Christians we get really stuck on this is right and this is wrong. But what Paul says is the only thing that's going to be left is love. And so I don't know the answer. And you can, I can even feel people thinking, but what about, but how come, but maybe, but this. I, I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that the Word of God tells Christians to go and do likewise, 
to love our neighbour and our neighbour is everybody that's made in the image of God. And so the call to Christians is to have compassion on the stranger, the refugee, the person who is different to us, the filthy Samaritan. All of that is completely unreasonable. But I want to tell you that I have found my God to be completely unreasonable regularly on my life. There's a lot of times that I've wanted to help to help him see reason. Yeah, he he doesn't even answer. He just keeps saying the same things. I could give you a lot of examples. And so he asks us to be like him, to feel the pain of others. The God who became a refugee in Egypt because his stepfather dreamt that all the baby boys were going to be killed came and experienced the world that he wanted to save because he was sowing love. And sowing love is the greatest of his values. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3 says, Identify with those who are in prison as though you were suffering with them and those who are mistreated as though you could feel their pain. And the Aramaic literally says, As though you were people who wear their bodies. Well, I don't really want to feel other people's pain. I feel like I've got enough of my own. But the point is that neighbourhood is not a, a geographic term. Neighbour is not a geographic term. It's a moral concept. And all over the world, people are laying down their lives for their neighbours. Are they priests? Some of them are. Are they religious people? Some of them are. But many of them are Samaritans who don't believe what we do or don't believe in any God at all, but they love their neighbour. And that's the command that's linked with loving God. Now, we often cast ourselves into the main parts of the story because we're the Samaritan or because we're the person who got beaten up by life. None of us wants to be the priest or the Levite, but I can tell you I have been the priest and the Levite many more times than any other thing. Many more times. I've been that person. I didn't understand it at the time. You know, I, I could see down there those people and that, and I've thought to myself, I oh, I don't even want to get involved. And I've, I've crossed the road at that point. This story is often interpreted as the difference between law and the compassion of Jesus. But even the law says that we're supposed to, even the law of Moses says to look after the stranger and the marginalised and the voiceless, the oppressed, the rejected and the powerless. So the story is about letting ourselves feel in the way that Jesus did rather than crossing the road. Instead of walking on by with our eyes carefully focused somewhere else, that we can look at that homeless person in the eyes. You know, any time that I've been talking with or about homeless people, one of the greatest pains that are in their life is the fact that most of us avert our eyes. There's no eye contact. People don't look a homeless person in the eye. Why? Because we're embarrassed. Why? Because we wish they weren't there. But they are there. And they're image bearers. They're carrying the image of God. And yet, we do whatever we can not to make eye contact because if we don't make eye contact, we don't have to do anything about it. And yet I've found that just saying to a home, looking a person in the eye, smiling at them and saying, how you doing? Is today a good day for you? Do you need anything? Or if you're in a community that has a lot of homeless people, always carrying around a couple of bottles of water and a couple of packs of sandwiches and say, could you do with something to eat, mate, and something to drink? 
something to drink is actually pretty big. People are thirsty out there on the street, by the way. You know, a packet of crisps, we're all human beings and we're all just doing the best we can to survive and to thrive and for some people it's harder than for others. And when we engage with people in that way, we're giving them the same dignity and worth that Jesus gave to people. We, we're ministering to that invisible status that, that is just such a painful thing for homeless people. Sowing love could just include looking that person in the eye, giving them a smile, saying, have a good day, mate. If that's all you can do, it's okay. Same with somebody who's a different gender to you. I've been in contexts at times where people have been concerned about, where ministers or guys have been concerned about, women you know just in case something kind of happens and so they don't even look at you and they don't even talk to you and you end up feeling like you know feeling like you're judged before you even got a chance to say hello you know somebody that's a different gender to you or somebody who sees their gender differently than how we are comfortable because sowing love isn't about agreement it's about dignity it's about giving eye contact and a smile and if there's a reason, a kind and a courteous conversation that doesn't have to mention the difference between you and them or how you feel about that. It doesn't have to mention Jesus. All Jesus asks us to do is to give love, keep sowing it out of the bag of seeds that he poured into our lives when we decided to accept his love. Because the world isn't the way we wish it was. Romans chapter 8 talks about the whole of creation groaning and travailing, waiting for the revealing of the children of God. Well, we're here. So what is it that they're waiting for? They're waiting for the revealing of the children of God because the love of God, which is ours to show, is so easily obscured by busyness and our own brokenness or our judgments, our disapproval, our biases, our fears, our assumptions. And so we're not revealed as the children of God because We've got this block here. We've got this wall of judgment here. And and even though we're surrounded by bruised and beaten people, it costs us to stop and to help. You know, love shows itself, according to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, shows itself in patience and kindness, not dishonouring other people, even if we don't agree with them. It shows itself in truth and hope giving hope and protection. It shows itself in hanging in there. The reason the religious people crossed the road before they got to the damaged person was because they were looking from a distance. But Jesus comes and looks up close and personal. He comes as close as he possibly can and he sees everything that we're not and he sees all our brokenness. But that's what Paul calls maturity as far as Jesus is concerned, that he's able to go there and he's able to support and help without saying, by the way, mate, 
you know, I agree with you. Whatever you were doing to get beaten up and robbed, I agree with you. No, he doesn't do that. He's just caring for the person. And when Paul's talking about the fact that first he says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I stopped doing that. And then the next thing that he says is, we don't see clearly. He says, we see like we're seeing in a mirror. But the mirrors that that they had in those days are not like the mirrors we've got now. They were like copper or brass. And if you've ever tried to look into the bottom of a copper pan, you'll see that you've got an image, but it's not very clear. And so Paul says, it's like looking in that kind of mirror, you can't see. But then when we when we get to be with the Lord, we will be able to see clearly. And then the very next verse says, all the other stuff won't last, but faith and hope and love will last and love is the greatest. And so he connects those three verses, even though ostensibly they don't look like they connect but what he's actually saying is maturity gives greater clarity and a greater ability to give love whether we agree with the other person or not whether we give value whether we agree or not you know he treated Jesus treated everyone with dignity there wasn't a wall of judgment in his life and I know what it is to feel that wall of judgment in me and to have to spend years actually understanding how to knock that wall of judgment down because the Bible says and this is said of Jesus in Ephesians 2 verse 14 he himself is our peace he has broken down the dividing wall of judgment, the dividing wall that is between us. And he was, yes, specifically he was talking about Christians and Jews, but actually he's talking about humankind. And so sowing love out of the vast store of love that's been poured out on each one of us is a choice we make every day. And it's a way of life that each one of us has to cultivate and nurture and deliberately choose so that ultimately it can go through every fibre of our being. And we all know people like that. We all know people that just love and love and love. I, I, I know people like that and I'm just, when I'm with them, I just feel overwhelmed because I can see that it, it's almost like it's not a struggle anymore, even though we know that it, it can be a struggle. But we know people who just have that love and they keep giving. And even if we don't people like, know people like that, we know Jesus. And that's who Jesus is. He called us to follow his example by this, by the way that you love each other. Well, everybody know that you're a follower of mine, not by your strong doctrinal stance, not by your religious dogma, not by your need to let everybody know that they're wrong in this context. By this will everyone know that you're a follower of mine because they can see you love. Love is hard. Love is hard. But it's the only way that people around us are going to see Jesus and not just another religion. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we, every one of us, know that we fall short of this. Everyone can think just off the top of our head half a dozen instances where we haven't shown your love. Just like we can also think of half a dozen instances where we overruled our own biases and fears and did show love. But, Lord, it's hard and we live in a society, even 
within a Christian society where sometimes the law is placed above the truth. Father, I pray that you would help us. I, I pray that you would help me, but that all of us, Lord, that you would help us grasp what it is to be interruptible, to not be so busy on our road to wherever we're going to do whatever we're doing that we can't stop and see the person who could do with a hand right now or could do with a smile or could do with a word of encouragement or whatever it is you're asking us. Lord, we know you're not asking us to do that with everybody all the time. But, Lord, we know that you put people in in front of us. And, Lord, I ask that you would help us not just to cross over and walk on the other side and pretend we didn't see. Help us be more like you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.